As you're taking your seats, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 2. We are in the middle of a series where we're kind of basing it and building around the idea of um, we are on an adventure together. We're using Indiana Jones as our uh, kind of our motif, our backdrop. Matter of fact, the kids right now are getting Indiana Jones hats. Uh, Scott's passing them out if they were here uh, this week. They all get an Indiana Jones hat. Uh, we're um, talking about a lot of things. We did some research last week. If you weren't here with us, we were the only church in America that we found um, that actually ran from a giant ball in the worship center. Uh, many of you had your pictures made. Uh, if you go online this week, you can see that video. It's a montage of, of your greatest moments, and so we invite you to do that. Uh, we couldn't find anybody else that did it. We tried, and, and they just weren't out there. And so today, we're going to uh, kind of move through a passage or a story in the Bible that may be familiar to you. Uh, maybe not, but uh, hopefully uh, you've heard it before. And we're talking about how do we uh, fuel this thing called passion in our life? How do we go on this adventure that God has for us and do it in a way where we're energized by doing it? And how does that happen for us? And so this morning, we're going to talk, and the uh, Bible stays entitled, Whippersnappers Meet the Miracle Whip. Whippersnappers Meet the Miracle Whip. Uh, that'll all make sense in just a couple minutes. Um, the word, uh, you, most of you heard the word whippersnapper before, right? Show of hands, whippersnapper, you ever heard that? Yeah. Usually it's it said in a context, like you use it in a sentence, you do it like this. That young whippersnapper is blah, 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 fill in the blank. You may not know that that word originated a long time ago, 17th century. And it actually came from a phrase that was said, snippersnapper. And so we've kind of evolved that into whippersnapper. So if you're ever in a conversation, you want to impress anybody with your great knowledge of the English language, just say snippersnapper instead. You can do that. Usually it means that there's somebody out there who, who, is, who is younger, who knows everything, who's an authority on all things. And, and usually the person saying it is being a little condescending and saying, you know, you don't know quite as much as you think you do, but we appreciate you participating, that kind of thing. This morning, that has everything to do with our passage of Scripture. And so in John chapter 2, early on in Jesus' ministry, we read these words. If you have your Bibles or an app of some sort open, follow along. We'll unpack it in just a second. It says this in verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum and his mother and brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others, sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those he sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Those verses our backdrop this morning, and we're going to talk about God just a little bit based on what we just read. Uh, let's bow our hearts and heads and let's pray together. God, we're thankful for this day, thankful for this week, we're thankful for all of these moments that we get to share this morning. I'm thankful for the kids who have been on our stage this morning. I thank you for not only them, but for their families, for getting them here today. Uh, they sing in song and with motions and with energy that uh, reminds us that you are a God who loves little kids and you are excited when our kids worship you. 
we're excited too because it means that we're connecting to uh, a source of strength and power and truth that will help sustain us through the course of life. And so all these times that we've spent together here this week are important times, formative times in each of our lives. And so God, we're thankful for that too. And this morning we ask that over these next few minutes uh, that we would somehow, some way, in the midst of all the things that are happening in this room, uh, catch a glimpse of you. And as we do, remind us how much we are loved and remind us of the life that you've called us to and how big it really is. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a summer's day, August 2018, and it happened here in the state of Florida. Many of you uh, may have missed this moment in history. Um, It was a group of a 1,000 people that gathered in the town square to hear from their mayor, whose last name was Murphy, uh, for a special announcement. The place is a one-light town in Florida, somewhere up there in that area where the peninsula bends into the panhandle. It's a little bitty town, 1,300 people, thousands of them at this event that took place. A little town by the name of Mayo. Mayo. On that particular day, as they gathered, they had a special guest. It was a spokesman. It was a spokesman from the company um, that we know today as Kraft. The spokesman got up and he began talking about mayonnaise. What else would you talk about in a town named Mayo? You talk about mayonnaise. And he talked about mayonnaise and he talked about mayonnaise um, and, and, and how um, it just, it was boring. And how mayonnaise was plain and how mayonnaise was just outdated and how awful it really was. And then he turned it back over to Mayor Murphy, who stepped to the platform and made this statement, and I quote, I hereby declare that the town of Mayo will henceforth and permanently now be called Miracle Whip. A fair and honest representation of who we are, exciting, complex, and decidedly not Mayo. Now, most of you remember that bit of history. Don't they teach Florida history in schools anymore? I mean, what a big deal, right? In Florida, all of a sudden, we had a town that used to be called Mayo that was a county seat town in Lafayette County. All of a sudden, it's now called Miracle Whip. That's a big deal, and we missed it. Now, I got to tell you, the people of Mayo were not quite as excited as you might have thought they would have. Somebody said, and it must have been like a Baptist business meeting, they said, we should have voted on this. Now, Somebody was quick to point out, well, you didn't vote on the name of the town before they changed it, so why would you get a vote if we do change it, right? It's just the name of the town. It's where you live. So they went back and forth. But then all of a sudden, they let the other shoe drop because it accomplished exactly what Kraft had hoped it would accomplish. It went, um, for lack of a better term, viral. And it was leaked that the town of Mayo was receiving a large, hefty donation from the Kraft company to build a new park, And to reinvigorate some of the downtown area. And then all of a sudden, the people who had been opposed to it were very excited about it. Because it wasn't going to cost them any money to do these things they wanted to do. They made a documentary about it. It It's called Hold the Mayo. And when it's all said and done, you can hear people talking about how excited they were. About how the name Miracle Whip really does describe their town. And and, and it's exciting things that are happening here. And what a great, 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 great name for their town. And they even wore t-shirts. 
I live in Miracle Whip. The signs were changed. Welcome to Miracle Whip. On the water tower, the name was changed from Mayo to Miracle Whip. Now, in the foyer out there, we're sending out a newsletter every week called uh, Dialing Up Destiny. And it's a Destiny newsletter. So if you want that, it's free. It comes out in a PDF. We'll send it out on Tuesday. We'll give you more information about this if you want that. I know that all of you are now stunned and riveted uh, by the fact that there was a town in Florida called Miracle Whip and you didn't even know it. But you can relax. After a few months, it was changed back. Uh, it was just a promotional stunt. Um, it made national news. Everyone covered it. Um, but it said a lot. But, but it was telling to me that one of the things that they had described about the difference between Mayo and Miracle Whip was simply this, that if Miracle Whip was exciting, it was complex, and it wasn't boring. Mayo, boring. Miracle Whip, wow, not so much. It has... (laughs) We'll coach you up on when you're supposed to say that, when you don't say it. It, it, it comes. Stay with it, though. Stay with it. I appreciate the effort. Uh, it's a holiday week. Stay with us. All right. Um, when we ca- talk about this passage, though, it has everything to do with the story I just told. In the temple, there were what you would call snippersnappers or whippersnappers. They knew everything. They had all the answers. They knew how things needed to be done. They had been done that way. They were right. Listen to them, you would be fine. And yet Jesus steps into that temple environment as a new thing. Jesus, incredibly complex. Definitely not boring. Definitely going to add a little bit of fire and zest to the moment. And all of a sudden, you had the stage set for a conflict between the whippersnappers and the miracle whip. And we just read about it. Now, what you need to know about the passage to understand it is simply this. Judea was under the rule of the Romans at the time. That means that the Jews that lived there were really slaves. And so when you read that particular Bible story, you have to understand that the Jews are living in slavery. I mean, the Romans are in charge. They're ruling. And so... Uh, The fact that they're even going to the temple only happens because the Romans have said, that's okay. Because the Romans were in charge, the currency of the day was Roman. It was Roman coin. That's what had to be used. The problem was that according to Jewish law, if you were to come to the temple, you had to pay uh, a tribute for the service of being there in the sanctuary. It was a half a shekel. That comes out of the book of Exodus. Well, the problem with a shekel is that that's a Jewish coin. And so what do you do? If you're a good Jew and you want to have a shekel to use, where are you going to get it? Because all the currency of the day that's being honored is Roman. And so how does that happen? Well, somebody was creative, smart. You would appreciate this. They said, well, you know what? What we'll do is we'll set up a currency exchange right there in the temple. And that way, when you come, you can bring in for a fee. You can trade a Roman coin for a shekel or a half a shekel. And then you can use that to pay the dues that you need to pay at the temple. Great idea. Well, the problem is thousands of people were coming. Thousands would come for these festivals. And so as a result, that became a big industry. I mean, if you wanted to make money, there was always a slight upcharge, a slight service charge. And so kind of like a, a credit card might be. 
we're going to charge you a little bit for this service, but we're going to provide a service for you because it's easier for us to do this and for you to worry about the shekel. Because even when you show up with your shekel, what if your shekel's not good? I mean, what if your half shekel's wimpy? What if the coin's not good? What if it's not pure enough? What if it's clean enough? What are we going to do with that? You can't use that, right? And so, so they had vendors that were set up all over the place to sell or change money. But beyond that, according to the law, Jewish law, you had to make um, a sacrifice or two. Those would be doves and pigeons. But people are coming hundreds of miles to get there to the temple. You know how hard it was to travel with birds? I mean, these aren't homing pigeons. You can't let them go where they just come back to you. I mean, you've got to carry these things. You've got to feed these things. And what if you were to get there, and all of a sudden you find out that the pigeons don't pidge? And your doves aren't dovely enough. And they say, you know, well, we appreciate you bringing these birds, but these birds aren't good enough to sacrifice at the temple. But because you're here, because you made the trip, right over here we have some birds that are temple approved and some doves that are temple approved. That for a slight fee, you can purchase from us. And so imagine what's going on. You get to the temple. You come because it is your religious duty. You're there to worship God. You've made this track for this festival. And you walk in. And what you basically walk into is a raucous religious flea market. Where everyone is trying to chip you out of money. Bargain basement prices. I can even put up signs doing commercials, having a closeout of birds at this table over here, get your shekels cheaper over here. I mean, you have people that are now competing for these thousands of people. And why not? Because if you're in a long line here, but you can get a better deal and be quicker here and get out, why wouldn't you go to this line over here? For a slight fee more, you'll pay for that. And so that's the scene that Jesus walks into on this particular day. Jesus, as the Son of God, walks into this environment and he sees all these people who have come all these miles to worship God and they can't even get to the temple because they're caught up in this, 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 this bartering that's going on right there at the temple steps. And it sets up an amazing moment in Scripture. We know it as a story of Jesus clearing the temple, but here's what you have to know. He did it twice. Go back and read the Bible and take a good look. He did it at the beginning of his ministry. And he does it again at the end of his ministry. And if Jesus does something twice, because we don't have a whole lot of his life. See, my conclusion, because I'm not a real smart guy, is it must be really important. This is something that really did matter to Jesus. This resonated with him. And so this is that first encounter. It happens right early in his ministry. John chapter 2, we just read about it. And I want to show you three things out of here that I think will make a little bit of sense for you. The first thing I want you to see is that he comes with passion that is crackling with real worship. Verse 13 and 14. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple course, he found men selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. What's going on is that they've come to worship but all of a sudden, worship has lost its reverence to God. Why? Well, what's taking place is that the unimportant things had become more important than the holiness of God. In other words, the focus had become on trying to get the money, get the right stuff, make sure you have the right things so you're clear so you can worship. You came looking for the holiness of God. You came to connect with God. You came to, to, to worship the creator, and yet 
when you get there, you can't because there's so many other distractions, there's so much noise, and it takes away from what you came to do. The bartering over bargain basement prices, are the coins going to be good enough? They lost sight of why they were there. And Jesus steps into this environment and he looks out over this group of people who should be there to worship God and finds them stressed and overwhelmed with trying to find a way to measure up to the religious rule of the day so they can do what they came to do. They lost sight of why they were there. They lost sight of the fact that they were there to worship. We live in a world that desperately needs to catch a glimpse of God. And we have to be so wise and careful not to put barriers in the way of people seeing God. This week, if you could have been here, and of course you saw a little bit of it, and it's high energy, but here's what I want you to understand about this building. This building, we've already used it for worship services only. We use this building all the time. Our desire is to wear this thing smack out. You can look at some pretty pictures on the wall, and we're talking this summer about building and expanding this building. But we wear this building out. We don't get nervous about uh, carpet and stains on the carpet. We don't get nervous about uh, a nick in the wall here and there. As long as we're using it for the glory of God, we're excited about that. You need to know that every day this week, there have been people in here worshiping God. Where you sit right now may not have been chairs. They might have been on the floor. They might have been dancing. They might have been rocking. But it was worship. And we were pointing folks to Jesus over the course of the week and the evening. Our teenagers were working here. Uh, a band uh, on the stage playing songs, singing, uh, sharing people praying to receive Christ in this building over the course of this week. Because we have a need in our life to connect and worship to God. A question for you, and again, I'm, I'm sure I'm not talking to you. I know I'm talking to the person in the row behind you. So they need to hear it. So just duck your head so it gets to them. Do you let unimportant things get in the way of you connecting to God? I mean, do you allow things that are really minor things to become big things? Do you often take a molehill and build a mountain out of it? And before you're done, people can't accomplish what they need to accomplish anymore because you've taken all the joy out of it. See, we live in a culture of joy suckers. They love to suck the joy out of everything. They will convince you that following Jesus is no fun. They'll convince you that worshiping God is no fun. They'll, they'll convince you that you don't even need God and, and, and the things of God aren't important. But here's what I know as I look at the culture around us. I, I see a real need for us to connect to God. I see the importance of making sure that we have that moral rudder that we need, that source of strength and that hope and that power. Someone will go, ah, with that whole Jesus thing, he's just a crutch. You bet your bottom dollar he is. And most of us are limping along through life. We need that crutch. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I need that help. Because the world is crazy and sometimes it gets upside down. And we got kids in this room this morning. I mean, they're, they're growing up in a very different world than some of you grow, grew up in. I mean, some of you are a lot older than I am, you know, but in my 30 years, I've seen a few things, and I'm telling you. That wasn't supposed to be funny. Anyway, the, 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 it, 
but we've seen things, we've seen the world changing rapidly, and we live in a rapidly changing world. You want kids to have that connection. You want them to be able uh, to find that place they can connect. And we have to connect to God and find those places. And hear me very carefully what I'm getting ready to say. We have to find the places that God has called us to so that we can connect. See, we live in a consumer age of churches. Right? If you don't like the show here, you know what? You can drive a mile down the street and find another show. You can drive a mile down this way and find another show. You can go take off down this way. You've got to go about three miles, but you'll find another show. There's always another show, and here's what I can tell you. There's probably always a better show. And there will always be a better show. But there is, if you're serious, a place that God has called you to link your life to and to link your family's life to. And in that place, you can connect with God and discover a passion for living the life that you're called to live. And I have been at this a long time. I can tell you how important it is to find that place and connect wherever it is. It's a place that God calls you to. You go there out of a sense of calling and belonging and you link your life there and you start pouring your life in there and you start doing life and all of a sudden you begin to form a community and you form family and you begin to look around the room and you see people who are just like you, tragically flawed, no doubt about it. I will admit, the 9 o'clock crowd, more flawed than you. But tragically flawed and yet at the same time trying to get it right. That's who we are and we connect. And one of the ways we connect is in worship. The second thing I want you to see is also I want you to see passion snapping with real devotion. Verse 15, it says this. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. Now, we have been using an Indiana Jones motif. If you've seen the new film, uh, you know that uh, Harrison Ford's in his 80s and he doesn't run a lot in this movie because he doesn't run very well at age 80, but they put him in cars and on motorcycles a lot. That's okay. What I love about Indiana Jones is that his go-to weapon is not a gun. That's easy. And he shows that in some of the films. But he goes to a whip. You ever try to crack a whip? A whip is hard, but in Indiana Jones' hand, I mean, he can clear a room. He can move a crowd. He can move animals. He can defend himself. He can do anything with a whip. It's absolutely amazing. I had this idea. I was going to break out a whip and show you guys how to crack it. And work it. You know, have you ever held a 12-foot whip in your hand and tried to crack that thing? A couple things can happen. One, you can get hurt really, really bad. Two, after about two or three minutes, I mean, your your arm is just flat worn out. And so I am a practical guy. So what I did instead is I went out and got an app. Now it worked pretty well in the first service. After a misfire, we'll try it again. Be real quiet and listen. So not only do you get the whip, you get the theme song too. And if you do it in the air conditioning, there's no sweat. How awesome is that? Thank you. Thanks so much. I'm your pastor. I'll be here all week. All right. Now, that being said, There you go. 
Jesus takes a moment, and I think the moment is missed in the passage. If you go back and look real carefully, Jesus doesn't get irritated at what's going on and reach over and grab a whip off the wall. He doesn't go over to some shepherd and kick him out of the way and grab his staff and start swinging it and clearing the place. No, 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 no. The Bible very clearly says that Jesus wove together a whip. In other words, don't miss the moment here. Jesus personally takes and constructs a whip in the middle of this environment, in the middle of the chaos. Because his righteous indignation is getting ready to take over. He's not throwing a fit. He's not just having a bad moment. This is a very meticulous, carefully calculated moment. Because it is so important to Jesus he has anger and it is justified. Now, if you go back, the prophets have been talking about this for a long time. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11 through 17, you read these words. I don't delight in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Bring me no more vain offerings. If you read Hosea eight thirteen, it says, They love sacrifice, they love flesh, and they eat it, but the Lord has no delight in them. If you read the book of Psalms, it says this. For you take no delight in sacrifice where they give you a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. Because Jesus knows that if your heart is not right, your sacrifice doesn't matter. And he looks on this crowd and he knows their hearts aren't right. And they've taken a place that is holy and a place where people should be able to connect to God. And all of a sudden they can't connect to God anymore. I know that in professional church life, we do a lot of things that probably rob people of the chance to connect to God. Sometimes we're really guilty inside the world of church of making the unimportant really important. We get so focused on what we think and what we want and how we feel and what we've known in the past and what we think is best and, and how we, we've always done it this way before and we don't have any room in our lives for any other change because we just think that if we do it this way, God's going to bless it. We never take the time to really ask God, what is it you want us to do, God? Where is it you want us to go? What is it that you want us to become? And as a result, sometimes we find ourselves very angry and frustrated and missing out on the joy of following Jesus because we just don't get it right. And we have to come back to that moment and understand that for our, us, for us people, our hearts have to be right and we have to aim them in the right direction. We have to ask God, God, help me to bless others. Help me be bold with my faith. Help me to embrace the journey that you've called me to. Help me to be that shining light in the darkness. Help me to be a difference maker in the place that you put me. Because see, we're always so busy worried about the circumstances that we're in that we forget that God wants to do something with you in the circumstances. We spend all our life asking God to change our circumstances when God's really trying to change your character. And God wants to take you and make you more than you are. And where you are right now, where you're going to be tomorrow, is a place that he's placed you. And if you're a follower of God, you get to be an agent of change in that place. How awesome is that? The creator of the universe thinks enough about you to use you in the place that you find yourself. But see, for it to work, you've got to make a choice. And it always comes down to choices. We have to choose, are we going to be that person that God wants us to be? Are we going to embrace this life that he's called us to? The third thing I want you to see is also, you find, that pa- you find passion whipped up in real 
closeness. Look at verse 16 and 17. To those who sold the doves, he said, get out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. There is another reason that Jesus did what he did that we don't get in this passage. This is recorded in another gospel. In Mark, in Mark is Peter's remembrance of these events, okay? And so Mark writes down what Peter tells him uh, about what has taken place. And Peter tells Mark something, and Mark records it. And it, it's one more tagline to this story that, that we don't usually take the time to even ponder. But for Peter, it was important. And it's this line. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. See, the temple consisted of a series of courts in that day leading to the temple proper and the holy place. There was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the Israelites, and the court of the priests. All the buying and selling that took place was in the court of the Gentiles. Meaning, if you were a non-Jewish person and you had heard Jesus teach, if you had heard the words of Christ, if you had heard what he was saying, and, and, and you were responding to that, you would be confined really to go to one area. It would be the court of the Gentiles because you weren't allowed to go anywhere else because you weren't Jewish. And what had happened is that the Jewish leaders of the day had set up all this selling, all this carnival midway in the court of the Gentiles. Which meant that the only people that were going to have access to God were those that were Jewish if they could get through that mess. And of course, you know, Jesus, and this was an ongoing battle that was going to take place in the New Testament, he came for everybody, right? And so as Jesus is dealing with this, he sees this, and so Peter, he, he remembers that. Your house is going to be a place of prayer for all nations. In other words, this is all access for everybody. And Jesus realized now that there are people who could never get past this point and never be able to go any further. The temple authorities and the Jewish traders had basically taken what was the court of the Gentiles and turned it into hmm, like a carnival midway. You ever been to a fair or a carnival and been walking down the midway where the, the barkers are trying to get you to come in and play their games? You ever, you ever done that? And... and, and, and have you ever been walking along and they, 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 they pick you out like, hey, you, tall guy, or you, short guy, or you, in the red shirt, or you, you know, with a funny face, or whatever they say. And they'll do whatever they can do to get you to turn to them. And then they got a deal for you. I give you one free shot, or two for this, or you try this, you can play the game. I told a story earlier, I'll tell it again, I'm not going to use any names, uh, but I, in my younger days, went and we did a lot of student ministry stuff, and we were in a theme park one day where they had a Carnival Midway set up. And as often happens, you know, you go and you kind of move in flocks sometimes as you're kind of going through this, and so I had walked, it was a basketball shooting thing, and I had made, uh, I think I plunked down my money, I missed the first time, on the second time I won my prize. My prize was the University of Kentucky basketball, I'm a Kentucky fan, so that was great, so we dribbled the ball, and the kids were all winning these basketballs too. And that became, for whatever reason, like the prize of the day. 
if I was getting the basketball and their favorite prize. And I had a youth worker that was with me. And he was watching this take place, and so he plunked his money down, and he shot, and he missed. Plunked his money down again, shot, and he missed. Plunked his money down again, shot, and he missed. And then the guy that was running the booth realized he had a mark. And he began to insult my youth worker, which caused my youth worker to keep plunking down more money and keep playing the game. At one point, I remember he kept throwing out money and said, I said, for what you spent, I'll just give you my basketball. And we can be done. By the time it was done, if I'm remembering this number right, he spent $55 on a $5 basketball. Because he just couldn't let it go. Because he couldn't connect anymore to common sense. Because he had got absorbed in the moments of the buying and the got to play this game and I got to win this game and I got to do this and the frustration. And it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And he became so consumed with it that he missed the bigger picture here, which is why you're paying way too much for a basketball that you're going to lose. And you're missing out on all the fun of this theme park. And the crowd that's gathering is laughing at you, not celebrating with you. Because they realize what you're doing is dumb. See, that's what happens to us if we're not careful. And that's what happens to us if we can't connect to God, if we can't get close to God, if we can no longer see God, we start seeing the wrong thing, we put our focus on the wrong thing, and we want the widget, we want the toy, we want the basketball, we want the stuffed animal, we want everything that we, is out there except for the things of God. What God wants is for us to have a passion and a zeal for connecting to him. The lady's name was Mitty. She had a young son. The church was a Madison Square church. The boy got to the point where he refused to go inside the church because he was terrified. Mitty wanted to know why her son wouldn't want to go to church anymore. And he told her because of what was inside. He was afraid of something, she discovered. He was afraid of the zeal. So she asked him, well, what is the zeal? And he said, I don't know. But he explained it's hiding in the dark corners of the church and it's going to jump out and eat him if he's not careful. She said, well, what is the zeal like? And she goes, it's probably like an alligator or a dragon. I'm not real sure, but I know the preacher was talking about it. And the mom was really concerned because now the kid was afraid to go to church. And so she got out of concordance, started going through and started reading verses that had the word zeal in them, and finally got to this word, John chapter 2, verse 17, and he said, that's it, that's it, that's it. And the pastor had said this, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And he was convinced that there was something in the church that was so big and bad that he went in, it would eat him up. I, I got news for you. I think people are still afraid of the zeal. I'm convinced that people are afraid if they get too close to God, it might really consume them, and they might really find out that life can be different than it is. I'm really convinced that that's one of the reasons that we put so many barriers between us and God, and we try to get God out of the equation, out of the public square, and out of of our lives. If we can keep God concealed somewhere hidden in the resources and the corners of the church, the zeal can't get us. By the way, that boy's name was Teddy Roosevelt. He would later go on to be a president that would have a little bit of zeal, by the way. And his mom got him back into church. But for you and I, we have to understand 
that we have moments where we stand at crossroads and at that crossroads we make decisions about our life. Are we going to plug in and connect and allow God to change us from the inside out and take the adventure that he has created for us or are we going to choose not to do it and settle for less? It's a choice. You make that choice every day of your life. Make that choice every morning that you get up. We've spent all week trying to tell our kids, God has a stellar plan for your life. His plan is out of this world. The sky is the limit. Your dreams can be big. You can chase those dreams hard. This week in this building, I know we talked to our students about their heart. We talked about how important their heart is. How God takes our old heart and replaces it with a brand new heart. And so when you hear your heartbeat, you're hearing the heartbeat of God because he puts a new heart inside of you. See, he changes us from the inside out and he wants us to be more than we are. But the real question for us is, do we want that for our life? And the choice is always ours because God loves us so much. We can choose to do it. We can choose not to do it. We can choose to ignore him. We can choose to embrace him. And the difference will not only change your life, but change the life of everyone around you. Let's pray. God, maybe for us in this room, some of us need this morning to get the zeal. Uh, We might need to simply make that the desire of our heart this day. God, give me a zeal. Give me a passion for the things that you're passionate about. Give me a passion and a heart for the things that are important to you. Most of the time we discover that when we do that, you begin to work on our lives, and all of a sudden the things that were most important to us yesterday may not be as important today. Uh, Sometimes we discover that our agenda is not your agenda. Sometimes we discover that What makes you laugh and what makes you cry doesn't make us laugh and cry. We think exactly the opposite. And we need to get our lives in line with you. And so, Lord, anyone who's here this morning who knows you and is a follower, that can be their decision for this day. My prayer, my hope for them is that they would simply pray, God, give me a passion, a zeal for living the life that you created me to live. Lord, there's others in this room who uh, may not be able to pray that yet because they just don't know you. They've never made the decision to believe and trust and follow you. And it's not a hard decision. It's not overly complicated. But it is a choice of the mind and heart that simply says, I'm going to believe the things in your word. I'm going to trust that you and you alone not only have paid the price for my sins, but want to live your life in me so that I can become more. And we desire to follow you, believing, trusting, following. We use a lot of words for it in church. It's salvation. It's accepting Jesus. It's a lot of ways we might say it, but at the end of the day, it is a choice. And there are some in this room who may need to make that choice this day. Lord, it would be my prayer, my hope for them this day that before they would leave, they would simply drop us a note, put in our giving kiosk on the way out and says, I want to accept Jesus as Savior. Give us a way to come alongside them and encourage them and help them know what needs to happen next. If they're one of the people who are watching us online right now, wherever they are, 
if they would just email us and, and just simply say, I, I want to accept Jesus. No matter where they are in the world, we'll help them find a place to connect, find a place to grow, and help resource them in some ways that will help them grow in their journey of faith. But above all, Lord, we desire that we would be who we were created to be in a world that sometimes would tell us that we can't. Teach us that this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.